that's the thing that you must watch out for as an investor is to not change your goals in the middle of the storm. When you do those goals and you put them in place and work with them with your financial advisor, your financial advisor has already thought through the fact that there's going to be a bear market in the future and it's going to affect your financial goals. But they're also assuming that you're going to do what good long-term investors do and you're going to ride it out or better yet, take advantage of it. And when the market goes up on the other side, then you average out and you get your smooth returns that long-term investors benefit from. This is Money Conscious from Millstone Evans Group. I'm your host, Sasha Millstone. Join me as we discuss investing, financial planning, and life. Visit us at millstoneevansgroup.com and thanks for joining us. Mike Gibbs joined Raymond James in 2012 through the acquisition of Morgan Keegan and Company. Mike currently serves as the Director of Portfolio and Technical Strategy for the firm. Mike joined Morgan Keegan in 1986 as a financial advisor and became Senior Investment Strategist for the firm in 2003. In 2009, he assumed the role of Director of Equity Strategy. As a market strategist, Mike's role was to guide financial advisors on market strategy and stock selection through fundamental and technical analysis. Mike oversees a group that offers daily, weekly, monthly, and quarterly market commentary and guidance for Raymond James financial advisors and clients. He serves on both the U.S. and Canadian Raymond James Investment Strategy Committees, and in addition, he guides stock models utilized by the financial advisors throughout the network. You'll often see Mike on television. He's on CNBC and Bloomberg, print media like the Wall Street Journal. We're very, very fortunate to have Mike with us today. So welcome, Mike. I'm, I'm really pleased and grateful for your time today. Thanks, Sachi. Great, great to be here. I know our clients will very much appreciate your expert market insights at this really nerve-wracking time. I wonder if we could just start with the basics. I think it would be really helpful if you could help our listeners understand in simple terms the difference between technical analysis and fundamental analysis. Yeah, I'll be glad to share that. And, and the, the question relates to how do we understand the movements in the markets, what's going to cause it? And obviously, most of you understand the fundamental side, which is inflation, earnings, the economic situation, et cetera, which are huge considerations in everything we do. But over my 36 years in the, in the business and actually managing money, I've learned to rely on watching what's happening with the message of the market. And that's where technical analysis comes in. And basically what technical analysis is doing without making it complicated, it's telling us what people are doing with their money. And from that, we get an idea of the direction of the market based on that. So that's the, the separation of technical and fundamental analysis. It really opens our eyes up into what the direction of the market is, and that will dictate probably where it goes into the future. So we're watching for momentum, and the technicals really help us uncover that. In a way, it's sort of behavioral, it sounds like. 
It is very behavioral because, you know, people vote with their money and they vote by buying and selling. And the market at the end of the day is a market where you come together between buyers and sellers. And at the end of the day, the net of that determines if prices are up or down. Obviously, we're in a down period like we're in now. There are more sellers on balance than there are buyers as people are repositioning portfolios, et cetera. And your clients also, and this is another thing about what we do in understanding technicals, is trying to understand it from where you sit. And I'm talking about you as the client. A lot of times you as the client, you're sitting there and you're saying, well, Mike, you're telling me that if there are more sellers out there than than the investors are voting that they want to get out of the market. Shouldn't I be doing that as well? And the answer to that is probably not. The market is made up of a lot of different participants. And for the most part, a lot of them are very short-term oriented. Those short-term oriented participants are the ones making the moves. And these short-term oriented participants, they may have borrowed the money to buy the stocks. So as they go down, then they're having to pay back money they don't have. So that has a tendency to magnify the price. Now, those of us, and I say us, because I I happen to sit in in the same camp, I'm a long-term investor. I'm looking at the market today on not what it might do in the next three to six months, but really what's it gonna do over the next three, and in my case, 10, 15, 20 years. That's why you have to realize that if you're a long-term investor, don't, because everyone's, there's more sellers than buyers, don't get pulled into thinking that you're supposed to be a seller because all these participants are selling. They have a different mandate and a different goal than you do, more than likely. That's really interesting. How many bear markets have you been through in your career? Oh, goodness. I'd have to go back and count them up. Uh, I began in 1986, and the first one was 87, then 1990, 1998, uh, 2000, and 2010, and then now this recent one. So six or seven. But, you know, obviously I've lived those, which is really important from living them. Because then you get an idea of what the emotions are like. You get an idea of what your emotions are like. Uh, also, I got to live half of those probably as a financial advisor. So I was on the phone with clients. I remember the credit crisis getting an email at 3 a.m. from a client saying he just can't take it anymore. He hope the good Lord takes him tonight. So I've lived you know, that through living it through real life. But then also in the role that I play, I've also been able to go back and study bear markets going back to the Great Depression and even before that, the panic of 1906 and and other periods like that. And that really forms a lot of how we approach the market today. We live those and we study those previous bear markets. And I try to do this all the time and I really like to do it with the clients. We had a bear market that went down 28 percent in 1962. And in 1962 was the Cuban Missile Crisis. The USSR was a global superpower. There was thought, you know, missiles 80 miles off the U.S. coast with a very hostile regime. And think of the panic that would have been going on. Now, children in school were having nuclear drills in the school. So just think about the tone. And that market went down 28%. So what I do is I go back and analyze all these different periods and I try to put myself in that period and in that frame of mind and then see what happened on the other side and see how it it came out. And that's why I guess after living this for 36 years and studying all these periods before, even though we're in a bear market now, I actually have lost zero sleep. 
I actually look at these markets almost like a Warren Buffett seems to look at them. When prices go down, he actually gets interested because he gets to buy his assets cheaper. And so that's one thing that's really helped me from living all these bear markets and studying all these bear markets. Well, that's fascinating that you described it that way. The research that you do and that you put yourself in that position, try to imagine what it would have been like. I think it would be great to hear from you. What are the most important lessons that you've learned about bear markets? I know you just said, well, one is I'm more interested in looking at opportunities during these times, but maybe you could give us a little synopsis of some of the best lessons. Yeah, I think that the best takeaway from the the average investor, I'm talking about the average investor that doesn't live and breathe this like we do every day, uh, they rely on us and they use us. And these are investors that go about living their lives. Some of them are running businesses. They're experts in those business. And when they think of the stock market, if they ever try to make the stock market a logical instrument, they're going to get in trouble. It's extremely illogical. And this is where so many investors have trouble grasping this is because when you are seeing in the newspaper on a daily basis, the ravages of inflation, the pending economic crisis that we're going to have, the pending economic recession, when the headlines are telling you all of that, the stock market's already priced in a lot of it. Because the stock market's always looking forward and it's looking into the future. So a lot of investors, and, and this is where they make the mistakes, the credit crisis is a really good example. They can take themselves back to March 2009, and we've had major money center banks failing. The government has, has forced those banks to have to get together so some of them could survive. You got to remember, the banking system is the economic backbone of the world. And so it's in dire straits. The economy is going through the worst economic contraction we've seen since the Great Depression. And I can promise you the news was probably at its worst in March 2009. What did the stock market do in March 2009? It hit a bottom. And the one thing that's clear about the market, and this is what every investor should understand, is that the market is going to go up a lot before the headlines turn positive. For instance, and, and a good way to understand this is that you all know what a P.E. ratio is, price to earnings ratio. That's how we value the stock market. The average P.E. ratio from the market bottom until corporate profitability hits its, its, its bottom. So remember, if you're in an economic contraction, companies are not making as much money. Their profits are contracting. And then when the economy's bad, the, the profits are still going down. By the time those profits hit their low point, meaning they hit the worst point of the cycle, the P.E. ratio for the market on average has been up 75%. That's how much stock prices have gone up before the bad news even began to let up. So I think that's one of the most important things to remember. Another thing to remember as a stock investor, and, and I used to love this when I would work with my clients, it's easy to make a decision and be a long-term investor when everything's good. You'll sit down with your financial advisor. You'll come up with a plan. Yes, I'm a long-term investor. Yes, I think I need to have a certain percent in cash, a certain percent in bonds, a certain percent in stocks, whatever it may be. You know, everyone has their own 
uh, plan that works for them. The easiest thing to do, and the thing that I see most often, this typically happens when clients don't work with full service financial advisors like, like we offer. What'll happen is when that news is bad and it's in the headlines, it's on the news every night, it's in the newspapers, and you've looked at your statements and you've seen that your, your portfolio has gone down 50 plus percent in the, in the case of the credit crisis, you, you all of a sudden change your long-term goals. You know, that's the thing that you must watch out for as an investor is to not change your goals in the middle of the storm. Because when you do those goals and you put them in place and work with them with your financial advisor, your financial advisor has already thought through the fact that there's going to be a bear market in the future and it's going to affect your financial goals. But they're also assuming that you're going to do what good long-term investors do, and you're going to ride it out, or better yet, take advantage of it. And when the market goes up on the other side, then you average out and you get your smooth returns that long-term investors benefit from. It's statistically proven that the average client, and these are the ones that aren't working with financial advisors, do not make anywhere near the returns they should make relative to the S&P 500 because they have a tendency to be buyers at the top and sellers at the bottom. And when I do client events, I always share this one phrase that I like to use. The only people I see losing money in the stock market, and I'm talking about people that are investing in quality assets, are the ones that sell at the bottom. So that's the thing that you have. You have to fight through your emotion. The client I shared with you earlier that said, I hope the good Lord takes me, he called me twice during the credit crisis and he says, Mike, you've been telling me everything will be good when it's all said and done. I can't take it. Get me out. And twice, twice within 10 minutes before I could sell anything, he called me back and he said, I talked to Jenny and Jenny said, if Mike says we need to stay in, let's stay in. You know who Jenny is? Jenny's his, his wife. wife. Exactly. Yeah. And so it's just, it, it's, and this is a very, very educated individual, an engineer, very educated. And that's just the way it works. So don't beat yourself up, but do rely on your financial advisor in times like this. And when they get worse and when you really start doubting your long-term goals, stop and take yourself back to when you created those goals and it was a calm environment. And these long-term goals do work out as we go through these cycles. Maybe you could give people a picture of how much the market swings. So in that case, we're talking about a market that went down about 50%. I can't remember over what time frame. Do you recall? Well, it was from October of, of uh, what was it, 07 through March of 09, 59% okay. roughly. That was a long bear market. It was very painful and scary because, as you pointed out, banks were going under. Lehman Brothers went under. It was a very scary kind of an environment. But the market ultimately bottomed out. I think it was under 700 when you mentioned in March of 09. And I don't think anybody bought then. <laughs> but, you know, maybe talk about how, how that recovery went. Yeah, well, I, I think it's easiest if I just average them all. And if you go back and look at all the bear markets since 1957, the average decline has been 33%. And the average length is about 13 months. The average time to get back to a new high, and that means get you back to your peak of your portfolio, 
was 23 months. So you're talking 23 months to get back to where you were at the peak. Now to get to that 23 months, there were 75 months in the 1970s that it took to get back to that level. I don't think we're anywhere near the 1970s, regardless of where inflation is today. So, you know, many periods, it's been under a year. But in that case, and, and I like to look at portfolios, and I've always said this to, to clients, especially when they're really feeling good in 2000, the tech bubble, and when their prices have gone up to new highs, I always tell them that, that I personally will mark my portfolio up or down 25% on any day, thinking about where it could be in the next six months. You know, depending on if we've been on a big run on the upside or a big decline on the downside. And we're on a big decline on the downside. So when I hit that peak in my portfolio at the end of last year, I wasn't taking that money to the bank and saying that I'm cashing that money in, I'm, I'm cashing all my chips. I'm going, it was going to be there anyway. But I looked at it with open eyes and said, yes, it could go down 20% in the next six months. I know that. Well, now I'm looking at a period where it's gone down 25% over the last nine months. And now I'm looking at it saying that it theoretically can be up 20 plus percent in the next six months. And well, more than that beyond that period, because bear markets go down on average 33%. Bull markets on average go up 152%. And they last on average 36 months. And that's why we have been taught to be long-term investors because stocks go up more than they go down. So that's the way that you look at it and thinking of how long does it take me to get my money back? You know, if you think of the period we're in now, all the economists are telling us, even if we do slip in a recession, that it should be shallow because we're coming into this period of time. Consumer balance sheets are in very good shape. We're a 70% consumption economy. You're talking about the economy was strong coming into this. If we do go through a recession, it's self-inflicted because the Fed's raising rates so rapidly, trying to bring inflation down and therefore it should be mild. So if the average recessionary bear market is 33% decline, then even if it is beyond 33%, in my eyes, I don't think it should get anywhere near that 50% variety we saw in 2000 or 2009. So that's how you use the averages. But I think for a client, you always understand that here's the thing I like to use in client events. Why are you invested in the stock market? The market is a market of stocks. You're investing in companies, whatever company it is, and that company is driven on a daily basis to generate a profit. Therefore, that company's value is dictated by the level of profits that company generates. Every period, you go back and look at every recession we've ever had, profits do go down. So stock prices follow them down. But what happens after every downturn in the economy? The economy heals. The economy recovers. It prints a new high. Corporate profits print a new high with it, and profits are what carry stock prices. So when you're going through a period like this, and I remember doing it in the credit crisis, I was doing a presentation in front of a, a bunch of advisors, and I said, you know, I have no idea how this is going to come out. But I do know one thing. I looked out my door last week, and that brown truck was driving down my street, and it dropped off that Amazon package at my door. And I walked into my office that day and I fired up my Microsoft office on my computer and I started thinking, you know, they're not going out of business. Companies will continue to generate profits and they're going to be geared to generate profits and the economy will eventually heal. And even though I have no answers for you in the middle of the storm, 
I have no absolute answers because I don't know what tomorrow holds. I do feel quite comfortable that the drive to make corporate profitability and the fact that economies do go down, but then they go back up does give me a lot of conviction to be positive now rather than fearful. And just to emphasize, that was a period in time where there was too much debt. People had a lot of debt. Companies had too much debt. That's why we were having a credit crisis. This is not a period like that. We, we do not have that problem. As a matter of fact, both companies and individuals paid down their debt because they had extra money during the pandemic. That is so true. You know, and another people that the other people they want to parallel that period to this period. You got to remember one of the biggest problems in that period were our banks. And remember, our banks are the backbone of the global economy. We're not in a good financial position. They didn't have enough equity capital. We had let them run too thin, and they were the ones holding all the bad debt. And that's why our system was so fragile and at such risk. Well, what happens? to our government when we go through a period like that. They push to the other extreme. And good for us today because our banks are overcapitalized. So the banking system is not at risk. And therefore that takes a lot of that downturn and the risk that we experienced during the credit crisis off the table. So the risk we do have, of course, is the risk of inflation we're experiencing. Talk a little bit about what you're expecting to see as far as inflation goes, and sort of that dynamic about what the Fed is likely to do and what the markets are likely to do in the time frame. Yeah. Let me simplify this for you as an investor. Here's what you're watching. Number one, inflation. You want to see inflation start to moderate, number one. And then number two, what's going to happen with the economy? And the reason I say that is that what the Federal Reserve is doing. They're raising interest rates. And historically, when the Fed has been on a tightening cycle, as we call it, when they're raising interest rates, more often than not, at some point after that tightening cycle or during that tightening cycle, you do have economic contractions. So they've contributed, they haven't caused, but they've contributed to economic recessions and contractions. So what I'm looking for as investors, keeping very simple, I got to have inflation slow down which I think will happen. I'll, I'll describe that here in a second. And then once inflation slows down, I have to monitor what sort of damage has been done to the global economies based on this increase in interest rates to figure out where we are. But the caveat to all of that is you got to remember the stock market's already priced in a lot of that, even a recession. We've already, we're already down 25%. Your average decline in a recession is 33%. So we price in a lot. So let's talk about inflation first. Inflation, view the world as a conveyor belt, a conveyor belt that's producing washing machines, cars, refrigerators, whatever it may be. And that conveyor belt knows how many of those are going to die each year, going to be broken, have to be scrapped, how many new homes will be bought, how many new refrigerators will have to be bought. Therefore, they're producing that conveyor belt to meet all that demand. Well, what do we do? We stopped the conveyor belt, but we kept having our refrigerators break and our automobiles break and all these other things. And not only with refrigerators and automobiles, but every component that goes in to make those, we were frozen in place. So this giant conveyor belt just stopped and it's supplying the world. So all of a sudden you got to restart that. So everything's out of whack. So as we normalize that supply chain 
and get the product out there to make the product, get it distributed, you get it to the, the end users, et cetera. We should have expected some bumps along the way. So we've been feeling those bumps in the supply chain. The supply chain's getting better. That supply chain, because of disruption, if you have a shortage of supply, it pushes price up. So as that normalizes, that should bring price down anyway. We've also had energy prices go up because of the Russia-Ukraine war. And the price of crude has begun to come down. Gasoline price at the pump has come down. I don't expect either one of those to fall out of bed, but they should continue to moderate. So those prices are not as high as they were. We're seeing agricultural prices start to moderate just a little bit. So we're starting to see some things out there to thaw it. The big caveat to me will be the labor market. The only mystery in this economy today that has got me sort of stumped is the participation rate. Remember, we had a conveyor belt, and I hate to, to, to use these terms, but workers also. So all of a sudden, workers stopped. You didn't have as many going to work in a restaurant or whatever. They were fearful of the pandemic. The restaurant was not even open. So all of a sudden, we had an undersupply of workers. That hasn't normalized yet. You also had a lot of people that retired, that would have retired in the next three years, decided to go and retire. Typically, retirees that, that leave the workforce from one job, a large percentage of them come back in the workforce in another capacity, maybe something that doesn't take as much of their time. That didn't happen this time because the elder segment of our population was more at risk to COVID. So I think that we have to continue to let some normalization happen in the labor force as well. And this is still an ongoing process. And this could carry on into 2023, but it's getting better every report that comes out. Remember, the stock market's not going to sit and wait and be told that everything's perfect. The labor force is back up. The supply chain's back up. When it starts to get hints that it's getting better, prices do start going up. So you can't wait for everything to improve instantaneously. But, you know, the timing of all this, I don't know, you know, it's very difficult. I will tell you that the average bear market, if we follow the averages, we would hit the average time frame at the latter part of this year, call it December. I think if you fold in the fact that we still have some hurdles to clear as it relates to the economy, as it relates to the supply chain, the labor force, et cetera, it probably carries over into 2023 of choppiness and uncertainty that's out there. But I think that as 2023 unfolds and the picture continues to clear a little bit more, stocks could very well be on their way back up. And that's why we're still positive that at the end of 2023, we still have a target for the S&P, you know, over 4,000. So we think the market, even though we, we chop and we still have some headwinds here in the short term, that we can be heading back up as 2023 unfolds. So let's just add a few data points here so everybody can follow. Where is the market right now? We are at 3588 is where we closed. And our price target's a little over 4,000 by the end of 2023. You know, when the market first rolled over in January, our, our price target in a normalized downtrend in the market was between 34 and 3,600. We're talking about if things get bad. If, you know, if we slip to recessionary conditions, we could see something under that. But for a very brief period of time, you know, it, when markets make a bottom, they're only there for a day, that maximum drawdown period. 
And on average, markets are up 20% in the first 60 days off their low. And that's another reason why we don't, you know, you really shouldn't try to time it too much because the bottoms have a tendency to come very violently and be over in a hurry. All right. So let's stop because that is so important. And just let's repeat that, that again, just summarize sort of the, what you tend to see when markets do hit a bottom and what is the time frame that you're looking at? Yeah, if you go back and look, and I wish I could pull up charts and you could see it, but you see 2009, you see all the other periods, the crash of 87, you know, different things like that. The bottoms, you know, everybody says, well, the market was down 59%. Well, it's down 59% for a day. And during that period, I don't have it in front of me, but during that period, I think the market within the first 60 days was probably up 35, 40%. Your averages are up 20% within 60 days off the low. So they come very violently, they come rapidly, they're over in a hurry. And that's why investors, you know, it's so difficult to time the market. And that's why you shouldn't try to time it. You should look at it like this. And I ran through an example here for you because I was thinking some things through. And luckily for me, since I run portfolios and I get to pick individual stocks, it's easier for me to look at this because I'm looking at individual companies and I'm thinking about what they do on a daily basis and what they're gonna keep doing over the next 10 years on a daily basis. So what I did for you today, I took one of the marquee companies in the marketplace. I can't mention any, com- any names, obviously, but that company is gonna earn $6.29 this year. It's trading at $180. $6.29 a share. Just so everybody's following, yeah. $6.29 a share. For earnings, yeah, for earnings. And this stock typically trades at a 60% premium to the market because it's a real good business, it's very predictable, et cetera. So what I did, the stock's trading at 180, they're gonna grow their earnings probably 15% per year, and that's that's market ups and, and economy up and down and just smoothing the cycle. And that $6.29 in earnings seven years from today, if they grow it at 15%, will be almost $17 in earnings. And if they typically trade at a 60% premium to the market, and I give the market a good long-term average PE of around 18, and I give them a 50% premium and apply that, that $180 stock will be a $450 stock. So $100,000 investment today would be worth $250,000. That's a 14% compounded annual growth rate before I get my dividend. And I'm not saying that's exactly what that company will earn or what that company will be worth in seven years. I use that as an example to get me through periods like this and look at periods like this positively as an opportunity, as opposed to worrying about where I was in December of my portfolio and where I am today. I'm looking at where I will be in five, seven, 10 years. It's just, it's one of those things when you look at it like that, you get pretty excited about the opportunity that that can develop when you go through bear markets like this. The beauty of a bear market, the good ones go down as well. So really good companies that you just wish you'd owned six months ago, you're getting an opportunity to buy them 50% below where they were. So I hope that helps. Helps a lot. And I think that our clients should know we are very focused on quality. And we have been. We, We do not own a bunch of stocks that don't have good fundamentals. We own quality stocks. We own dividend stocks. And we like the idea of dollar cost averaging during periods like this. So 
I know this is really hard, and I'm not asking you to exactly predict, but I am curious, how far along do you think that we are in this bear market and why? You know, I think we're probably 70, 80%. And I can do it simplistically by just running those averages. The average 33% decline, we're down 25% now. You know, the average length of a bear market, 13 some odd months, you know, we're nine months in. And then you take the averages to begin your analysis is sort of a centerpiece. And then I can throw in, you know, could we slip in a deeper recession into 3,000, 31, 3,200? Sure, we could for a short period of time. Could it drag on into the middle of next year, which would get us beyond the average time frame because of the issues we're dealing with with inflation and What's the impact on the economy and all those different things? Yeah. So, you know, that's where I can come up with 70 to 80 percent through it. And you do that. It's just your, your base case. And then you just sort of have to lengthen it out potentially to give yourself uh, comfort. I always look at things on what's the worst case scenario. If you look at things on how bad can it get? And think about what will that do to me financially, especially if I think about well, this is bad as it can get now, but what will that be worth in 10 years? If you weigh those different things, you can get through these periods of time because they're just not as fearful. So use those averages, uh, 70, 80% through this, uh, could be, you know, give or take, um, could be above average before it's all said and done, could be less. You know, we get an inflation report later this week. If we start getting inflation reports that are softer, the market probably celebrates that because they'll feel like the Fed will be able to back off. Then the market will take a pause. It'll start thinking about well, what sort of damage has been done to the economy. That'll drag us on for several more months until we get through some corporate profit reports and see what's really developing in the economy. And then you'll have a clearer picture. So there's one thing for sure. With this being down 25%, we put a lot of work in for this bear market already. Especially since we said those terrible things that really create longer problems like too much debt or like hundreds of thousands of of people being unemployed. Those those are not in the cards here this time. No, we're coming into this weak economic period in pretty stable, strong position. So we're going to see the market react to things like Fed hikes. We're going to see the market react because we do have earnings, as you said, coming up here starting very shortly. And we might see some companies cutting their earnings estimates. The market might not like that. You're right. And the market will react negatively to those stocks. But you got to remember, a lot of those stocks are already down a lot. We can circle back to where we started. When you asked me about technical analysis, it's a good example of why we watch the action of the market. A company comes out and lowers its earnings estimates. The stock goes down for a day or two, and then it turns and starts to go back up. Well, what does that tell me? That tells me that the market had already priced in a lot of those weak earnings and those weak profits that that company just just guided to. That helps me as an investor when I'm looking at the company and saying, I really like this company long term, it starts to open my eyes up that it may be time to start buying it. So that's another reason why you listen to the message of the market. Well, it's funny that you brought that up because I was going to say, I was going to ask you if you do see some interesting opportunities. Now, I know you can't talk about 
specific companies, but maybe you could talk about parts of the market where you see things that are starting to look very interesting to you. Sachi, this is what I love about this business, is that the global economy in the world changes so rapidly on businesses. And you think about companies that are out there, I'm not recommending these stocks, I'm just mentioning them because everybody knows them, the Amazons of the world and the companies that weren't even around and the dynamics that, that take place. And so that's happening before our eyes today. We have green energy, we have the IRA that was just passed. We have a world that has fully embraced the fact that we need to decarbonize this world that's creating a huge opportunity. And you don't have to go out and buy the speculative companies that are young in that space. Yes, you make a lot of money if you get the right one, but there are a lot of the who's who companies out there that are embracing you know, different business facets that will benefit from what's going on there. You know, that's a dynamic industry. Cybersecurity is always a dynamic industry. Software is a dynamic industry in that you're talking about businesses that create a software package and then sell it time and time and time again. The margins on this business are just phenomenal. So there's there's so many opportunities out there with the different things that are going on in the world. And that's what's fun as an investor. You get to sit here and watch them unfold and you get to participate in them. And then you're looking at a market like this and a lot of those companies that are in those areas could be the leaders you know of the future you've seen their prices be cut by 20 30 40 50 percent and that's where it's really exciting to see how we emerge on the other side of this and there might be some opportunities in areas that aren't even that economically sensitive like i was thinking about healthcare. you know it's not that economically sensitive but it's getting beat up it, there have been so many areas of healthcare that have been beat up and you know, some of them, it's it's the continued ripple effect of the pandemic. We've had some labor shortages in healthcare that's created some dislocation there. You've had the global supply chain where they can't get certain parts to make certain medical devices those companies have suffered. And also we have a market, we haven't talked about this, we have a market that's really changed in the last decade because of all the passive investing. The ETFs that are out there so those ETFs, when, when individuals sell them, those ETFs sell every stock in the portfolio. If you're classified as a gross stock and all the investors are pulling their money out of growth, a lot of the hot money, that is the short-term money, they have to sell those stocks. So you get an adverse down move in some of those prices. So you, leave a, you create a lot of opportunity when the dust settles on the other side. And touching on healthcare, and always a lot of times when I do client events, They'll ask me about, you know, what are some of your favorite sectors? And I said, I like to keep things simple. And we got a $21 trillion economy, and we spend 16% of that on healthcare in this country. Projections tell us that it's going over 20% of our economy will spend on healthcare. In a free enterprise system where companies can go out and create a business model, generate a business, and make an economic profit and get to keep it and share it with their shareholders. You can't tell me with that much money sloshing around that there's not going to be a lot of profits generating in the healthcare space, which means there will be stock prices that are rewarded. So I love that industry just from simple demographics and the amount of money that flows through the system on an annual basis. Well, Mike, you have been wonderful this afternoon. 
And I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me and talk with our clients. I think people will get a lot of comfort from hearing the perspective of someone who's been in this business for multiple decades and who really understands how to analyze stocks and when is a good buy and when is the time to just be patient even though the market is going through a fit. (laughs) So (laughs) I really appreciate your time today. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Money Conscious. Visit us at millstoneevansgroup.com. You can follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, I'm Sasha Millstone. Sasha Millstone is the president and an investment advisor with the Millstone Evans Group, a registered investment advisor located in Colorado. All opinions expressed by Sasha and her podcast guests on this show are their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of the Millstone Evans Group. All statements and opinions expressed are based upon information considered reliable, although it should not be relied upon as such. Any statements or opinions are subject to change without notice. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and unless otherwise stated are not guaranteed. Information expressed does not take into account your specific situation or objectives and is not intended as recommendations appropriate for any individual. Listeners are encouraged to seek advice from a qualified tax, legal, or investment advisor to determine whether any information presented may be suitable for their specific situation. Past performance is not indicative of future performance.